0: Welcome to the Trinity Galewood Podcast. Here you'll find teachings, sermons, discussions, and additional content all related to what's going on here at Trinity. Trinity Galewood is located at 1701 North Narraganza in Chicago, and we meet Sundays bi-weekly at 1030 AM. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood Podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, for the calling that you give to us, the mission that you have brought. And I pray, God, that as we open up your word, as we uh, learn a little bit more of what it means to look, live, and love like you, may your spirit just equip us and may it uh, guide and lead us in all things and in all ways. It's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what does it mean uh, to follow someone? You know, maybe when you hear that statement that you're called to follow somebody, that uh, might trigger some emotion for you. Uh, One, it might just be kind of confusion as to like what in the world, like who is this person I'm supposed to follow and, and what does that mean? Maybe if you know who that person is that you're called to follow, it's like, hey, uh, that person is crazy, and there's no way that I would ever want to follow their direction and where they're going. It might invoke some fear in us. Or being asked to follow someone might bring some excitement, might bring some joy that somebody would actually ask me to follow them. This word follow comes with a lot of baggage, comes with a lot of better, we need more understanding of, of what exactly that means. I mean, maybe when you heard that word, like, follow, you think that that could simply just mean that we follow in, like, our social media world, Right? Like to follow somebody means that I just like uh, check out your Instagram and I make that big decision that I want to follow you for the purpose of just liking stuff about you. Or following means that I just know the your political views on the whole Kavanaugh situation and what you commented on Facebook and the things that are going on. Uh, following someone could mean even more of like that I'm willing to uh, like, read what, what you've wrote, and if you put energy into like a blog or something like that, that I appreciate how you view life and the things that come from that, following a group of people, meaning that like, on Sundays, I show up and I wear my favorite sports team. <laughs> right? And I follow a group of people that like root for some and hate others. Following is a very deep thing. What what in the world does that mean? And for us today, we're told by by Jesus, the words that were just read in, in Matthew 28, these words that Tegan just read for us, it says this, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, at the end of his life, is inviting his disciples, those who were his followers, to follow not only what he did, but to go and duplicate that to go and share that with somebody else. And I could imagine that at that moment, when Jesus takes them up to this mountain and he's about to ascend into heaven after he's died on a cross and rose again from the dead, there certainly was probably some confusion of like what in the world is going on right now. I could imagine that there was fear Amongst those followers saying like, okay, now he's telling us to go and do what he did. That seems like a very tall order. But I hope today that as we better understand and for these next eight weeks, as we look at a series that is entitled Follow, I pray that you would find excitement in the fact that God has invited us to follow him. And, and in order to do that today, um, I want to kind of begin uh, in a way that, that helps, that, that the disciples in that moment, when they were told to go and make disciples, they understood some history to what God had called them from and what we need to experience today to see what God is calling us to do. And so to do that, I, I'm going to need your help here. We're going to have a little bit of... Of fun here this morning, so I gotta, I gotta move myself up here. All right, and um, do you want to join me in this journey here? No. All right, cool, <laughs> sweet. Here we go. You're going to anyways. That's that's the power that I have right now. So, um, so Jesus comes into a world, and uh, he comes into our world, and he's Jewish by tradition. And if uh, if you know, uh, Judaism is filled with all kinds of symbolism. Everything is done with intention and purpose. And so Jesus comes into this world of Jewish tradition. And, and in that Jewish culture, the highest esteemed position, the, the highest point in society would to become a rabbi, also known as a teacher. And so... Jesus, a teacher or a rabbi, would be, uh, it would be like a, like a, a, a professional athlete or, or somebody who's seen high in society and culture that we want to know what that person has to say about these kinds of things. And so every child between the ages of six and ten, according to Jewish tradition, would participate in this tradition. So here's where I need your help. I just need you to stand up with me, real quick, here. All right. And so, every child from the age of six to ten would go through this thing called bait sefer. Say it with me: one, two, three, bait. And so, at the age of six, these kids would come to the synagogue to the church. And they would learn about the law. They would learn about the Jewish traditions that existed during that time. They would be taught from this book called the Torah, which is essentially the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And they would be taught about the story of God, how he created everything, how he brought the people out of slavery in the Exodus, that Moses parted the Red Sea. The rabbis would teach these little children about the good news of God, this covenant that he was making. And it would be this process that would go on, so much so that, that they would be quizzed, like, do you understand what you're reading? They would have to memorize, because like, they didn't have a Bible that's easily printed for you. It was an oral culture, so they would memorize these first five books of the Bible. Some of you all like, I can't even tell you a Bible verse right now, right? And the rabbis, when they would teach them, they, they would acknowledge and see who is the best of the best in this crew. But if you, like, weren't cutting it, if you didn't get kind of the Torah and the things that were happening they would say like we know that you love god but but you don't have what it takes to be a rabbi and so i want this half right here i want you to sit down for me what they would say was this the rabbi would come to that group of people and they would say i want you to go and learn the family trade become a fisherman I want you to become, go and learn how what it means to be a carpenter or a farmer. But the best of the best would move to this next stage. The next stage would be this. It was called Beit Talmud. Say it with me. One, two, three. And in Beit Talmud, there would be this next process where they would go back to the scriptures and they would teach These students, 14 to 15 years old, more of the text. They would teach them the wisdom of the prophets, the wisdom of the book of Psalms. They would teach them about the coming Messiah that would come. And it would be from Genesis all the way to Malachi, this group of people would have to study the text and memorize these words. It would be so important for them to grasp. Again, the printing press was not invented. So they would study more and more. And they would acknowledge that the best of the best would move forward to rabbi school to become this very thing. But what they acknowledged is that some just didn't have what it took. So I'd invite here from Nelson in your row, would you guys sit down for me here to the front? They would acknowledge that if you didn't have what it takes to go and learn the family trade, to understand what your family has done, But the best of the best of the best continued in this process. By the age of like 16, they would go through what was called Beit Midrash. Say it with me. One, two, three. And in this time, now they had had this moment of studying the scriptures, memorizing these texts. And now what would happen is they would come forward and they would like apply to the rabbi it would be an interview And they would come forward to this famous rabbi and say, hey, I want to study with you. I want to know the things that you know. And the rabbi would say to that applying student, say, "Uh, well, what do you know of the prophets? Tell me the story of Moses. And they would test them and grill them on what the prophets had to say about all kinds of things. And one by one, they would be eliminated down to it would be one Person that would be following them. In fact, I'm going to have everybody except for Justin in the back to sit down. And it just so happened that Justin and I wore the same clothes today. It was just going to work. It was going to work for us. But this process would come down to one student left. And these words would be said by the rabbi, the teacher. He would say this. He would say, I want you to come and follow me. Follow me and the things that I do. And the saying started to come in Jewish culture that, that these words would be said. They, they would talk about, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi as you follow Your rabbi, may you be covered in the very dust that he kicks up. May you act like he acts. May you walk with him and follow him in all things that he does. This was Jewish culture. This was the time that Jesus came into. And then 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes into this world. And by the age of about 30, he declares that his ministry is beginning. And it's in this moment that that Jesus does something that is just totally unorthodox. He flips things around. We read it here, That in Matthew chapter 4, it says this. It says uh, these words. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. So imagine, would you two stand up for me here? Two brothers, they're in, they're by the Sea of Galilee, and And when you read this at first, it says, for they were fishermen. And maybe at that time when you've read this passage before, you're like, hey, cool, Matthew. Thanks for the detail, all right? Don't really fully understand why you're giving me this. That's what they're doing. But what Matthew is screaming to you and me is something really important that we need to understand. Because what Jesus does is he comes up to these two Fishermen who had been dismissed, who had been told to sit down, to learn the family trade. And he says these words to them Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, it's in this moment that Jesus is doing something radical. It's not just like an Instagram follow. It's not just saying, hey, will you accept my friend request on Facebook? This follow that is being asked of Jesus is to come and walk with me, to be in my dust, To follow me in all things. So much so that the people of that time would notice that uh, of these men, they would say, of Peter, one of those brothers, he said, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. Because this is who Jesus had called to follow him. The mission here at Trinity is simply this, that we would look, live, and love more like Jesus. That is who we are as a church. That's why we exist. And I hope that you would come to see today that what that means is that thousands of years ago, when Jesus came forward to two ordinary fishermen, he invited them to follow him. They were not worthy, according to the culture, to do so. And in the same way, Jesus would do this over and over again. He would come to other people and he would say, hey, I want you guys to follow me. Stand up for me, please. Do you mind? He says, I want you to follow me, those who are not worthy. He says, I want you to come and learn what it means. Please stand up. What it means to follow me and to live like me. He invites more to say, you know what? Like, you're not good enough. Stand up. I want you to follow me in this journey. And he comes to others and he says, you know what? You're really awesome, but I still want you to follow me. I want you to know what it means to understand forgiveness in this world. He says, I want you to be wrapped in my dust. So much so that Jesus would invite all to come and follow. And this is an incredible truth of who God is. You guys can sit down here. This is an incredible truth thousands of years ago of what Jesus was doing in this world calling people to come and follow, follow him. The words that, that he said here, that he says in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To go and make disciples. Teaching them about about me. Not teaching them about yourself. But teaching them about what I have commanded you. And I'm with you in this. To the end of the age. Now it's interesting because... When you hear that, you might be thinking, okay, well, if Jesus is like calling me to come and follow him, does that mean I have to do everything that Jesus did? Does that mean that like the end of my life is going to end up on a cross? I'm not really looking forward to that moment. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that you're going to be exactly me. In fact, I love this The statement and phrase, it says this that a student is never above his teacher, but it is enough for a student to be like his teacher. And that is the mission for us here, to be more like Jesus. You are not going to die on a cross to redeem the world. That was Jesus' job. And he did that by his death and resurrection. But what he invites us into is a mission with him to teach more people about him. It's important. If you get one thing here today, I hope it would be this. That Jesus is not about eliminating you. He's about inviting you into his mission. He's not about disqualifying you and saying, hey, you're not good enough. He's about inviting you into his mission. Regardless of your history, regardless of your past, he cares about what you do. He wants you to be covered in his dust. He doesn't want to leave you in the same place, but he invites you to come. And follow him. And I get it. I get it. That that calling to follow him. Comes with some big emotion. That might come with some like. Big confusion. Like what in the world does all of that mean? Some dude. Thousands of years ago. Like what. Like, how does that even happen? In these next seven weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about. How Jesus did this very thing, inviting people to follow him. I can promise you that as we talk about this, there will be fear. Like, Like, really, Lord, you're asking me to do this very thing. I don't think I can do that. The disciples themselves, the first followers, experienced those same emotions. But today, I hope that you would see that there is great joy and excitement in the fact that the God of the universe, the God who died for us, invites us to come and follow him. That should bring us joy that Jesus says, I want you to learn from me to be covered in my dust. That's what it means for us as a church to look, to live, to love more like Jesus.